Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today. Today we look especially at Romans chapter 6, where the power of baptism really unites you to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. We'll consider that in our sermon today. The service is outlined for you in your service folder. We'll begin on with our opening hymn, number 294, and then continue the very front portion of your red hymnal on page 26. God bless your worship.
We're continuing the front part of your Red Hymnal on page 26. Please rise. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God invites us to come into his presence and worship him with humble and penitent hearts. Therefore, let us acknowledge our sinfulness and ask him to forgive us. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful, and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil, and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us, and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For all that we need in life, and for the wisdom to use all your gifts with gratitude and joy, hear our prayer, O Lord. For the steadfast assurance that nothing can separate us from your love, and for the courage to stand firm against the assaults of Satan and other evil, hear our prayer, O Christ. For the well-being of your holy church and all the world, and for those who offer here their worship and praise, hear our prayer, O Lord. Preserver of life, uphold us by your power and keep us in your tender care. The works of the Lord are great and glorious, his name is worthy of praise.
O God, you have prepared joys beyond understanding for those who love you. Pour into our hearts such love for you that, loving you above all things, we may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, chapter 28, beginning in verse 5. Loving God above all things means loving the Word of God. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied and bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and may he bring back all the exiles from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, listen now to what I have to say in your hearing, and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets from ancient times who came before you and me prophesied war, famine, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, only when the word of that prophet actually happens will that prophet become known as someone with whom the Lord has truly sent. The word of the Lord. Amen. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 89, found on page 98 in the front portion of your red.
second reading from Romans chapter 6. The Christian is only able to love God above all things because of God's grace in holy baptism. Paul writes, Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless, so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin, and since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of our God. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Alleluia. Next page. 
good evening. We consider our reading from Romans chapter 6. The message of the gospel, that is to say, the truth of who Jesus is, the fact that he lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that God counts this life as yours. The message of the gospel is the most comforting, the most reassuring promise ever. Nothing in the world compares to that. And it's so good, and it's so true, that at every point along the way, it's almost like there's a little whisper that says, well, yeah, but. Yeah, but. But I'll say it again, that the message of the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, is the most comforting truth in all of creation. And it applies to every single person, whether the, the newborn baby, the elderly person looking ahead to entering heaven, the younger person struggling with temptation, the older person thinking back or thinking ahead and wondering. Because the message of the gospel, who Jesus is, is the most comforting truth ever. But there's always a whisper. We hear what Jesus did. Jesus has forgiven my sin. And so, the accusation goes, and the wondering goes, and the whispering goes, why not? Why should I not do this sin? Why does God make such a big deal about sin? Maybe we should just redefine God's law to do something about this, this guilty conscience. Just reaffirm. It's okay. It's not wrong. Or the flip side. The side that, that doesn't wonder. The side that is whispering quietly, it's okay, there's nothing to worry about. That knows very little of God's law, that has long since silenced the conscience, and says... I'm fine with who I am, then God should be too. And in those cases, the message of the gospel has not changed. However, the sinful nature wants to use God's promises as an excuse to say, I don't need to change. I can do what I want. And if God wants me to change, then something must be wrong with him, because then is grace really grace if I have to change my life, if I want to change my life? The message of the gospel, that Jesus has done it all, is the most comforting truth in all the world. It demands nothing from you. It gives everything to you. The fact of who Jesus is, and how he lived, and how he died, and how he rose, it's not, it's not held out there as some standard for you and me to live up to. It's been given to you, declared over you, and it applies in all of its beauty and all of its truth at every point of your life. But you and I know that even though God has created this heart of faith, at the same time, the struggle goes on. 
the wondering, the accusation, the idea that you, Christian, at some point in your life, are helpless and alone. Helpless and alone when facing the temptation that always seems to trip you up. Helpless and alone when facing the thoughts and the accusations from the outside. Helpless and maybe really alone when considering what life and death in this world really looks like. And to all those things, to all those wonderings and accusations, I say again, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is the most comforting truth in all the world. And no matter who you are, no matter where you are at, no matter what has happened or what you have done, the message of the gospel applies to you with all of its beauty and all of its goodness. How? The reality of God's grace, it's not found in trying to redefine God's law and silence the conscience by saying, it's not really wrong. God's law still stands. And the message of the gospel is not comforting by saying it's just, a, oh, that's all right, not a big deal. Because sin is still sin. And sin still brings death. And the gospel message is not placing the responsibility on you and holding out this false hope. If you do X, Y, and Z, if you live up to this standard, and if you change your life, and if you really, really, really commit yourself, then God will forgive you. No. That sort of conditional promise is not Jesus. But the message of the gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, is every bit of comfort, no matter where you are at in life, and at the same time, is every reason to lead a godly life. <laughs> Whoa. That's what Paul says today. And you and I hear that, and, and it's, it's so tremendous that to try and comprehend what Paul is talking about here oh, seems almost too good to be true. That how on the one hand can God promise me everything and give everything to me, and give me his forgiveness, and not water down his law? And why should I lead a godly life? when I know Jesus is going to forgive me. It's almost like the, the you know, fourth grader talking to his grandma or to his mom. Why should I stop being naughty? Jesus forgives me. Why should I lead a godly life? Jesus forgives me. And it's almost this accusation that that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so foundational and so life-changing and so awesome that, that it really means I should do and can do whatever I want. And the one that Paul deals with here, that if I keep on sinning, then doesn't that just glorify God by showing God another opportunity to forgive me? How was it that 
that my sin doesn't, Paul says. Here at the beginning of Romans chapter 6, he says, maybe if I just keep on sinning, then God will, everybody will see how gracious God is, that my sin has been forgiven, that he is a forgiving God. It doesn't matter, Paul says, almost. The sinful nature rejects the idea of Jesus and says, well, if I just drink every time I get drunk, that's another reason, another time for Jesus to forgive me. If I make any effort to to stop what I'm doing, then why in the world, how in the world would that glorify God? Because isn't God's greatest glory found in His grace? This backwards, kind of a nefarious argument. Paul says, if we keep on sinning, then God can keep on forgiving. And you and I hear that. And on a certain level, it resonates. Because we've been there. We know what God has said. We know those temptations that always trip us up and the thoughts that always come back no matter, no matter how often we try to stamp them out. And it's almost like we feel exactly as the sinful nature says that you are helpless and alone in dealing with sin. That you are helpless and alone. That God has really left you to be on your own. And the doubt and the worry and the wondering, and the anxiety all point to that same accusatory truth. That the reason you're at where you're at, and the reason life happens as it does, is because of something you have done. The devil stands there accusing. He stands there and says, what does it matter anyway? And to all that, the message of Jesus we know it. We know Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension. And so often, the wondering is, well, Pastor, how? How does Easter help when I'm struggling with this temptation and it seems like I just cannot conquer it? Every single time I try, I fail. And the question, how? How does the empty tomb help me and comfort me when I wonder why my life turned out the way it did, and I wonder what does tomorrow hold, and I wonder what does God really think of me? And Jesus seems almost too far off to be of any use. 2,000 years ago, other side of the world, I get that he lived and he died and he rose, and I treasure those truths, but I just don't see how it applies to me. And I just don't see how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is any reason to change what I do, to say nothing of the power to break free from this habitual temptation that feels so much like an addiction. Paul says, time out. Because the message of who Jesus is, the message of of Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, is the most comforting truth 
in all the world. And it's not just a far-off thought. I'm not proposing some philosophical thought for you to think about, Paul says. Because you were baptized. All right. Paul says, you were baptized. When you were baptized, whether at that font or another one, when water was applied to your to you, your head, your foot, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, there you were buried with Jesus. And there you died. And when Jesus rose, you rose with him. The Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus of Scripture is not just far off God. The Jesus of Scripture came to live within you when he raised you from death in your baptism. And so, like, big picture here. When Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, he's, he's very true and very right, of course. And we know that the wages of sin is death, as Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 6. And exactly what he's talking about here, that the wages of sin being death, has been met with the death of baptism. The wages of sin being death has been met with the death of Jesus, that when you were baptized and when you were raised from spiritual death and raised from sin and washed free from every stain and accusation of Satan, when that happened in baptism, you died with Christ. And so the deeds of death the sin that brought death has actually been killed. Think of that. When we talk about baptism, sometimes there's misinformation spread that it is merely symbolic or that the word baptize means to fully immerse under the water. Both of those are false. Paul says here that it's not Symbolism, it's reality. He uses, he uses these words that are simple and straightforward. We died. We were baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. We were raised with him. Simple and straightforward language that communicates the reality of what God has given to you there. The reality that, yes, you actually were spiritually united with Christ. And in all that he is, and in all that he does, and has done, and continues to do, you are tied to Jesus. You think of it that way. That the deeds of death, that the sin that seems so habitual and unbreakable, the temptation that seems irresistible, is nothing but a dead whisper. It dies. Because you died with Christ. And you've been set free from the power of sin to serve God. That no matter where you are at in your life, whether new baby, whether nearing the end of your life, whether wondering about what does tomorrow bring, having doubt and anxiety and worry about yesterday, Jesus says, he is not some far off God. He's real. He has come to live with you. 
and he brought himself near in the waters of baptism where you have been baptized into Christ, where your death was really conquered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that when, when you or I die, well, yeah, when you or I die, God will bring you to heaven. Because he began a life there at your baptism that he has continued to nourish through his word. And that he has promised will continue into all eternity. So that one day, this baptized body will be raised from the dust of death and enshrined, no, <laughs> raised to praise our Lord God in heaven forever. These own eyes, as Job says, with my own eyes I will see God. And the Christian, the baptized Christian, echoes this. That I've been buried with Christ. I've been given a new life with Christ. And that this life really extends forever. And the life that God gave to you in baptism is a life that he continues to repeat and reaffirm through his word. Where he says to you and to me, there is no need to try and redefine God's law in an, in an attempt to silence the conscience. No. The law has been completely fulfilled in Christ, and you have been clothed with Christ. You have been tied to Christ. When God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. When Satan comes accusing, his slavery doesn't work. That truth is every reason to lead a godly life. Because you and I know that often the temptation is, well, I, I, just, I just couldn't help it. I've tried, I read all the books, I put in a new system, I um, tried to keep, a, keep an accountability partner, whatever the case may be. The answer isn't in everything that we have set up. The answer is recognizing what God has accomplished. That your sin was washed away, that that the deeds of death, the sin, is no longer your slave driver. But you've been raised with Christ. That when he walked out of the tomb, so did you. He came dragging you along, rejoicing. And there in the tomb, lying dead as dead could be, every accusation that the devil could throw at you or me, every temptation that he could bring our way, Every, every thought of saying that God is too far off and that God doesn't care. And Jesus says, absolutely, yes, he does. Because he washed you. He raised you with himself. You died with him. And you have a life with him now that no one can touch. So I guess the only question, does this really work? Kind of the practical question. Well, Pastor, I get it. I get what you're saying, but you don't understand. You know, I've got this this thing, this temptation that I just cannot beat. And it's specific to my circumstances, my, my role in life, the stress that I carry, and I just can't figure it out. I just have tried so hard. And Pastor, it just makes me feel like 
that much less of a Christian when I wake up the next day and I realize what I did yesterday. Does this really work? The fact that your baptism has means that you have died and risen with Christ. Yes, it does. For an example, I would um, call to mind this guy Augustine. We call him St. Augustine. Lived in the late 300s, early 400s AD. Lived in northern Africa. Self-described womanizer. We'd probably send him to a, to a clinic these days for, for his addiction. Almost 14 years of sleeping around, of sex addiction, really. St. Augustine. What happened to change him? Well, he heard the preaching of a guy named Ambrose. And even though Augustine, you know, he knew about his, his mother or his grandmother had been a Christian and they, they had really wanted him to, to shape up and stop carousing and to lead a good life, he thought the ideas of Ambrose and the, the ideas of Christianity sounded attractive, but he just couldn't stop his sin. He just felt totally, totally helpless to stop his sin. Until one day, one day he picked up the Bible, and he read it. And he had heard what Ambrose had said, and the preaching that Ambrose had done. And Augustine read that scripture for himself. God brought him to faith. And right around age 30 or 31, Ambrose and his wife and his son were all baptized. And from that day on, Augustine was a different man. Yeah, Augustine was baptized. Augustine was a different man. He went on to become the, uh, the bishop or the head pastor there in northern Africa. And as he kind of traveled about, guiding and reinforcing the churches in that area, and serving as overseer of a number of churches, going through one town, he ran into a prostitute that he had once known. And they struck up a conversation. She started talking with him, and, um, and he said, okay, have a good day. Went on his way. And this woman thought to herself, well, maybe he doesn't know who I am. Maybe he doesn't really remember me. And she chased after him and said, Augustine, Augustine, don't you remember the, the lovely times we had? Augustine said, well, you're correct. I am Augustine. But that is not who I am anymore. You see, when God buried and raised Augustine in baptism, God made a miracle that changed his life. And God really says, here in Romans chapter 6, the same applies to you and to me. That sin is not your master that you have a new life with Christ. That the message of the gospel is not some far-off Jesus and some philosophical thought to debate and some doctrine to discuss. Who Jesus is has been made yours. The death and the life of Jesus is now your death and your life because 
because you have been baptized into Christ. Look what Paul says, verse 5 and following. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And so this word baptized, it, it simply means to apply water. The, the basic Greek word across all of Greek literature, put water on something. It doesn't say how. But baptism, as Paul talks about here, is really God putting his name on you. God tying you to himself with the bonds of Jesus' life. God clothing you with himself and saying that there is nothing that can separate you from his love because you have been baptized into Christ. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we will not continue to serve sin. Reality. For the person who has, been, who has died has been declared free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. For the death he died. He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And you can put your own name in that blank. The name of your loved one in that blank, who has been baptized. The life Pastor Hagen died died to sin once and for all in the water of baptism. The life Pastor Hagen lives, he lives to God. For every Christian baptized and kept in the faith through the word of God, the same truth applies. Death and the devil and Satan and sin have no accusation that can stick anymore because you've been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ, and you have new life with Christ today. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I invite you to turn to page 31 in the front part of your red hymnal, where you'll find our confession of faith, the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became holy human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. 
We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering. continue with the prayer of the church on page 32. Please rise. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth, the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and to drink in this sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and to the whole Christian church on earth. Thank you, God, the Spirit of this heavenly fruit. Increase our trust in Christ and our love for one another. Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage, and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. Open our lips to speak of your grace, and move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember and mercy those who are sick and suffering, and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. Move us to pray for those in need, and to help them with deeds of kindness. We especially ask you and thank you for your blessing upon Maynard Strong, now fallen asleep. We ask that you comfort his family, especially Elaine Christie and Doris Rosner and their families, as well as the rest of the Strong family as well. We ask that you most of all give them joy in the fact that you have ended Maynard's suffering here on earth and brought him to the eternal joys of heaven. Comfort all of us with the sure hope of a blessed reunion at the resurrection. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petition. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in the saving faith, and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He sends the Holy Spirit to testify that we are his children, and to strengthen us when we are weak. Now have come the salvation, and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. To him who sits on the throne and to the land, be praise and thanks, and honor and glory forever and ever.
song of thanksgiving on page 36. Please rise. Jesus won for you. 